Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This Your Torah episode is dedicated by Rabah Claudia Marbach to her teachers and classmates at Yeshivat Maharat. Hello, my name is Claudia Marbach. I am honored to be teaching you Masechet Uksin, the last Masechet of the Mishnah. Not only because it is the culmination of our study of one of the Jewish people's foundational texts, but also because, with my learning of Masechet Uksin, I am personally completing my study of the entirety of the Mishnah. I started studying Mishnah in earnest seven years ago. I was visiting my daughter at a women's yeshiva in Israel, where she was then studying. I noticed that many of the young women had sets of Mishnah on their desks. I was then a teacher of Mishnah and thought to myself, if these women can set themselves the task of learning the whole of the Mishnah, so can I. I would then have an overview of one of the essential books of the Jewish canon. I started carrying around a Mishnah and making sure that I learned at least one chapter a week. I used Rabbi Kahati's translation and commentaries and later the Safari app on my phone. The discrete Mishnayot lent themselves to stolen moments and checkout lines. I read every Mishnah in Hebrew and in translation, sometimes reading the commentaries and sometimes not. Slowly I started seeing patterns and noticing when the text varied. Seven years later, I have finished this project just as I have finished Yeshivat Maharat and in a few days will receive smicha. You too, dear listeners, are finishing your run through the Mishnah. As I will explain at the end of this podcast, we say a special prayer or intention at the end of such a momentous endeavor. This is definitely an accomplishment, and you should be proud. Uktsin is a notoriously difficult Masechet, at the end of a notoriously difficult Seder. Several different places in the Talmud discuss the difficulty of learning this material. At the beginning of the Talmud, in Masechet Brachot, we have a story that when Rav Yehuda, who was quoted in the last Mishnah of our Masechet, would get to this section, he would get frustrated. Rav and Shmuel, two of the greatest sages of the Talmud, had at least 13 versions of Uktsin because they couldn't decide what was right. Rashi, there, says that they had so many questions and difficulties because it is the hardest of all the Masechtot to understand. Nothing like saving the hardest for last. In another Masechet, Horayot, which is buried in the middle of the Talmud, we have this story. One time, when Rabban Shibam and Gamliel was trying to consolidate his power as Nasi, or president of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of the Jewish people. Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Natan felt that he was being disrespectful to them. He had told the students not to stand up for Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Natan when they entered the Sanhedrin, despite the fact that Rabbi Meir was the Chacham, or head of all studies, and Rabbi Natan was the vice president. In response, they decided to teach him a lesson. Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Natan planned to expose Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel's lack of intellectual prowess by testing him on Masechet Uktin in public, knowing that he would not be familiar with this obscure Masechet. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel was saved from humiliation by Rabbi Yaakov ben Korshai, who had overheard the plot and arranged to give Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel a tutorial. The Talmud tells us that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, quote, studied it aloud and repeated it, and studied it aloud and repeated it. So be forewarned, dear listeners, this material is not so easy. Rambam, or Maimonides, our 
medieval guide to the Mishnah, in his introduction to the Mishnah, says in this Masechet that it is particularly unusual because it was all learned by analogy and has no direct source in the Torah. The Mishnah does not usually quote its sources in the Torah, a habit that Rambam adopted, but usually the Talmud works hard to try to figure it out. Here, there is no later Talmudic commentary, so we will have to take the Rambam's word for it. Rambam says at the end of this Masechet that it took him seven years to complete his commentary on the Mishnah, which he did from ages 23 to 30. Now there's something to think about. For all that introduction, Masechet Uksin is quite short, comprising only three chapters or 28 Mishnayot in total. The first chapter discusses the attachments to food, which may or may not become impure. The word ukatz, which is the singular of uktsim, literally means stem. The question is whether something is considered to be attached to the food, such that if one part becomes impure, the whole is impure, and when are they independent? The Mishnah considers stems, roots, and husks. I like the list of food because it gives us some insight into what our ancestors were eating. The list includes garlic, onions, leeks, and radishes, long and short, turnips, gourds, mint, cabbage, pears, quinces, and crab apples, beans, dates, figs. Sounds like a good diet to me. The second chapter discusses when the extra parts like stems and roots combine with the fruit to be considered enough of consequence to become impure. For example, leaves that are pickled with olives for a decorative flair, or pits, or rotten parts of pomegranates and melons. Are they part of the food or not? This is the section that apparently so perplexed Robin Shmuel in the story I told you before. The last chapter returns to the theme that we saw in Masechet Machshirin, which is that for food to become impure, the intention of the owner plays an important role. Here, if the food is designated for food that humans can eat, then the food can become impure. Food that is not yet ready for human consumption does not become impure. One Mishnah considers the case of fish, broken date palms, and uprooted grain plants. If the fish can live once it's taken out of the water, presumably and being thrown back, the date palm can be bound up and still give dates, and the grain plant, if replanted, can still live and bear grain, then they're susceptible to impurity. But if they're taken out of their natural habitat, they're not. What odd bedfellows these three examples make. These Mishnayot seem similar to ones I had learned earlier in Seder Taharot. And I began to wonder if the list of foodstuffs was going to be how the whole Mishnah ended. I was thinking that such an end would be somewhat anticlimactic. I also noticed that the previous Masechtot usually ended with a more philosophical or pastoral Mishnah, usually related to the themes of the Masechet. I am glad to tell you that Masechet Uktzin does not disappoint on the philosophy, but I am still, like the rabbis of old, puzzling about the connection. So let us learn together the last Mishnah of this entirety of this amazing work. The first observation of this Mishnah is that it is said in the name of two rabbis. The first is Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, who is not in fact a Tana at all, or a rabbi of the Mishnah, but rather one of the earlier Amoraim, or rabbis of the Talmud. As with most of Seder Taharot, there is no Gemara or Talmudic discussion associated with Masechet Uksin. The Mishnah stands alone, even though we know that the Amoraim were discussing it. 
Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi lived in the first half of the third century in the land of Israel and was known as a peacemaker. He was also known as a great interpreter of the Mishnah, and his opinions usually prevail in disputes over his contemporaries, Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. Even more than his legal opinions, he was known for his homiletics. That is, he gave a good sermon. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi is also found in stories in the Talmud in the company of the prophet Elijah, and he negotiates with the angel of death, a good person to know. The second is Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta. He was a great friend of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the compiler of the Mishnah. There's a story about him that he was so poor that once he had no food for a holiday. He went to pray for an assistance, and a hand came out of heaven and handed him a pearl. He sold it to Rabbi Yehuda and took the money and bought food. His wife was surprised and asked him where he got the money. He told her, and her response was that she thought the pearl was a prepayment from his reward in heaven. And didn't he think he shouldn't be borrowing from the world to come? He agreed and sold back the food, redeemed the pearl, and prayed for heaven to take it back. And heaven did, which the rabbis in the Talmud thought was a greater miracle than the pearl appearing to begin with. I think this story tells us not to borrow from the future, but to deal with the present in the present. So shall we learn the last Mishnah? Amar Rabbi Yehoshua ben Halevi Atid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lahanchil Lechol Tzadik V'Tzadik Shalosh Meot V'Asara Olamot Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, In the future, the Holy One, blessed be God, will bequeath to each and every righteous person 310 worlds. Rambam, Maimonides, in his commentary in the Mishnah, says that 310 represents the pleasures of this world, which will be doubled in the world to come. I certainly think learning Mishnah has been part of my pleasure of this world. Shemar, and here we do have a proof text from Proverbs, Mishlev, Lahanchil yesh hem amale. As the verse says, to bequeath substance, literally the word yesh, to my loved ones, and I will fill their treasuries. Here we have a play on the word yesh, which means substance, and has a numerical value of 310. The Zohar hears the reference to God creating the world from substance, or yesh, from ayin, or nothing. Perhaps the substance that God is bequeathing to us is the Torah and the Mishnah. When we learn Mishnah, we are part of creating the world in imitation of God. The Mishnah continues, Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta, Lo kli machazik bracha l'Israel, ela hashalom. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta said, The Holy One, blessed be God, found no vessel that can sufficiently hold all the blessings for Israel, except for peace. The Midrash tells us of all sorts of types of peace, that of blessings, that of covenants, that of greetings, and that of parting the ways. Shnemar Tehilim Hashem oz lamoyiten Hashem yivarech atamoba shalom. As it says in Psalms, Hashem will give strength to his nation, Hashem will bless God's nation with peace. And so to you, my listeners, may God, Hashem, grant us all the strength to keep learning and to use our knowledge to bring peace to this world. So congratulations, or mazel tov, you have completed your study of the Mishnah. This is a cause for celebration, and it is customary to make a siyam or a completion party when one does so. At such a party, the student usually teaches a bit of the text she has learned, like the last Mishnah, and recites a prayer called the Hadran. The word Hadran has two meanings. The first is, I will return. 
The Mishnah is a complicated series of books. When we finish, we pledge to return and study it again and again, so we can go deeper and find more meaning in this rich and varied text. The second meaning is glory. Not in the sense that we should glory in our accomplishments of completion, but by learning we recognize the glory of our inheritance, our sacred heritage, which is only as strong as we make it by learning it and teaching it to the next generation. So let's say the Hadran and Yashikach to you. There's one more podcast in this series, so look for it soon. And thank you for learning with me. Hadran alach, shita sidrei v'hadran alan. Da'atan alach, shita sidrei mishnah v'da'atan alan. La nishtanei minach, shita sidrei mishnah v'lo titnesei minah. La ba'ama hadein v'la ba'ama da'ate. We will return to you six Siddharim of Mishnah, and you will return to us. Our thoughts about you, six Siddharim of Mishnah, and your thoughts are about us. We will not forget you, six Siddharim of Mishnah, and you will not forget us, not in this world, and not in this world come. We have become partners with the Mishnah. And may it be a blessing for you. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.